As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Oh, hello, everybody. How are you doing on this fine day, whatever spring may bring you? I think it's technically spring, right? I mean, here in Southern California, we are experiencing, you know, rain and coldness. I know coldness is kind of not really happening in Southern California because people laugh when I'm like, oh man, it's cold. Like, what is it? I'm like, it's like in its 50s. They're like, you are an absolute softy. This is the truth. But you know what isn't soft? These conversations. Great transition piece, right? (laughs) Anyways, if this is your first time here, we are talking about punk, hardcore. We're interviewing the people who are making it, who are documenting it, who care about it in a very deep way. And this person I'm incredibly excited to have on because they just released a new record. His name is Aaron Hurd. He is the vocalist for Jesus Peace. And their new record is called So Unknown that just came out on Century Media Records a label that I used to work for. And so I hold fond memories of that. I wish that I could sign Jesus Peace now. Technically, they're already signed. So I guess I I shouldn't even put that out there in the world. Regardless, Aaron is the vocalist. We had a great conversation. We actually talked about some some life-changing moments, a Forrest Gump-like conversation that he had with an old man in a park. (laughs) It was, I just loved when he was able to vocalize that particular experience in his life. And uh, yeah, we had a great conversation. So you, as a listener, I ask you a few favors because this show is free, obviously. If you are interested in supporting this show in some capacity, it will take you 30 seconds to do that just by tossing a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify. All of those things help out the show from an algorithm perspective. And we are all slaves to the algorithm, right? Maybe not, but... It would just help out this show because all I want this thing to do is be in people's ears who need to hear it, okay? I also would love to hear from you. You can email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I love to just hear, you know, whether it's guest ideas, whether it's like feedback in particular episodes, whatever the case may be. I know that I like to put that out there just to make sure that you feel like you got a direct line to this thing. This is a collaborative I guess, environment. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Even though I, you know, maybe don't want hate mail from you, but I get that occasionally. It's totally fine. That's part and parcel of like releasing stuff out to the world and the internet at large. But anyways, you can also just please, please share on social media. You know, that's like the best way for this show to kind of get out there. So you can follow it on social. Obviously you know how to use Instagram. You know how to find this podcast on there. But you can go to the show notes of this particular show and follow it on YouTube if you want to consume the content that way. All of those things will cost you $0, okay? And maybe just take up, like I said, 30 seconds to maybe a minute of your life, of your day. And that would, uh, you know, it helps out the scene, right? (laughs) Anyways, I was really lucky to see Seisha twice in, actually not twice, once this week. But I was able to see two shows this week at the beautiful Program Skate Shop here in Southern California, in Fullerton, to be precise. First of all, if you were in Southern California, you need to visit Program as a skate shop and record store. I love what they do. Shout out to Chris and Ephraim for doing the damn thing and creating a very, very cool space for people to hang and consume and actually have a community. Because I do feel like Program has created a community there where it's like there are kids that go to shows on almost you know every night that they have a show, just because it's like, oh, cool, there's a show, a program, let's go down there. But uh, I was able to see Roman Candle perform one of the nights, and uh, Roman Candle actually played the Seisha show as well that I saw on, uh, it was like last Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. 
But uh, Seisha, holy moly, dude, they had no business sounding as good as they did, but man, they were so good, and it was an incredible show. It's just really, really cool to watch a band like that reform, play shows, all in benefit of like this actual run they did on the West Coast was in benefit for uh, Border Angels, if I'm not mistaken, which basically offer resources to people who are migrants or trapped at the border in some capacity. And uh, I just love seeing that communal energy because it really, really brings me back to the connective tissue. Like when I first started to go to shows and I felt like I was part of a community where bands, of course, bands have to get paid and travel and all that sort of stuff. But then there's always this altruistic connection to something larger than yourself. And I really, really genuinely felt that for basically all the shows Seisha has been playing, but then on top of it, this particular skate shop show that I attended. So shout out to Seisha. And if you haven't listened to Seisha, what are you doing? I for sure am going to have Billy the vocalist on at some point. I've just been lazy and reaching out to him. But anyways, let's talk to Mr. Aaron Hurd from Jesus Peace. Like I said, check out their new record. It's really, really, really good. And uh, Aaron was a great conversation. So that's what we got. And here we go. I came across Jesus Peace when I tripped across the demo, you know, just word of mouth, hardcore circles, as it were. And I saw you guys play, and I'm, I, forgive me, I can't remember the year. This was probably 2017 or 2018. I live in Orange County. You guys played uh, like a warehouse. Um, yes. Yeah, and I can't remember what year it was, but it was. I think it was shortly after Only Self came out. I could be wrong about that, but to me it was a perfect place to watch you guys because you, you know, I mean, anytime you see a band in a warehouse, it's cool. But that idea of just like you guys felt like you were being let out of a cage, so to speak. <laughs> I don't mean to compare you to a bunch of animals, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. And seeing you in an environment was really cool. Or seeing you in that environment was really cool. And I'm sure that as you guys have progressed and started playing, you know, different size venues, different crowds, like you're trying to retain some element of not only that energy, but just that, you know, closeness that sometimes is hard to keep as you grow as a band. I'm sure that's something, is that something you think about? Or is that something that you're just like, nah, whatever stage we get up on, we're going to, you know, kind of do our thing. Or um, is that a conscious thought you're putting into it? I mean, it's a little bit of both, to be honest. Like, nothing beats having the crowd around you while you're singing. You know, it, it's just like this one synonymous feeling. But uh, at the same time, you put us on any stage, we're going to wall the fuck out, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, we'll make the best of it either way. But, yeah, you're not wrong. It definitely changes the entire vibe of, of the entire show. Like, we are have a very active crowd, you know? And I encourage people to come jump off the stage as fast as they can, you know? Uh, but when that's taken away, it's just me up there, you know? Which, right. Again, I, I don't hate, but, you know, it, it definitely takes away from the chaos of the live show. Right, right. Well, and to your point, too, it's that element that you try to weave through your show, like you were talking about, you know, no matter what, you're just going to, and I know it sounds like such a stupid cliche of like, oh, we're going to leave it all on the stage, but... It, <laughs> It's like that when you are just concentrating on yourself on the stage, you don't have to worry about, you know, 15 kids jumping off your head. It does kind of make you focus on like, hey, I'm actually going to quote unquote put on a show if that means anything. Right. Yeah. And just like being in the zone and in the mix. Right. And I, I guess on that topic too, the idea that people like, especially when you're watching a band where people are just, you know, going insane and going off, you almost aren't even really paying attention to what the band is doing. It's more of just like the environment. But then when you actually have to focus on the band of like, oh, they're actually pretty good at their instruments or whatever. It's like, oh, this is good. Yeah, it definitely brings a different look at the band for sure. Right. And our, our kind of music, you know, musicianship can get lost just in sound, but uh, I got a good group of guys with me. That's for Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'll, I'll pull on that thread a little bit later as far as, uh, you know, how, how Jesus Peace came together, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I want to focus more on you as a person. I know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were born in, in Philly, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
And I know, um, you know, I know you like you're from what I can gather in just previous interviews and stuff like that. Your mom is definitely a very central point to your life and obviously helping your uh, upbringing and point of view on the world and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, talk to me more about, I guess, your kind of household and family structure and stuff like that that you were growing up in. Oh, uh, so I'm the youngest of four boys. And all of my older brothers are pretty uh, interesting characters, you know. <laughs> I was like the runoff of all these wild men, to be honest. And uh, I was like one of the only ones that loved skateboarding and like this kind of music. And I took a lot of shit for that, but uh, they were always, you know, very much behind me and uh, supportive uh, to an extent. Uh, but yeah, our mother took great care of all of us and made sure we were cool for the most part. What's the uh, age difference between you being the youngest and your oldest brother? I think he's like 42 or 43 or something, and I'm 30 now. I'll be 31 in May. Oh, okay. So it it was close enough to where you would still be in the house together, but not like, you know, completely removed from each other. Yeah, definitely. Got it. And I'm guessing this is maybe typifying a uh, younger sibling experience, but, uh, you know, usually there's that idea that the youngest kid is kind of left to their own devices and just, you know, maybe struggling for attention here and there. (laughs) Does uh, any of that resonate with you or were you just kind of, you know, doing your thing amidst all your brothers? I mean, definitely left to my own devices. Like we were all kind of kids that just were like, all right, get out of the house, go. And then we would just run around town all day do all kinds of shit so <laughs> we definitely right. weren't left to our own devices uh but no nah, i mean it was it was pretty loving all around like that's cool and when uh, i was going to dive into this question a little bit later but i know um philadelphia in general especially within the punk and hardcore scene has always been pretty uh you know rough violent whatever you want to call it um i I definitely never experienced that until i toured out there and played a show at the rotunda and then got punched in the face for watching a band yay (laughs) right but (laughs) and so i'm guessing as you started to you know go out in the street and obviously just you know get involved with uh you know general tomfoolery we'll call it um did you notice the kind of like i guess violent element or was that more so that you recognized that like as you started to go to you know punk and hardcore shows no i mean that's that's kind of just how things are around here you know everybody's always slap boxing each other since we're kids and of course that turns into real fighting like right <laughs> it was just like a, a part of the day you might scrap at one of your homies and you play N64 later. Right. <laughs> or you might be playing N64 and then fight. <laughs> yeah, and still playing afterwards, you know, it just it was a part of it. Like I feel like it's kind of normal for a lot of East Coast cities. You know, we all are, are very upfront people and, and that leads to conflict a lot of the times so and that's okay to an extent. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. As long, right. You said as long as you uh, come together at the end, where you're just like, yeah, we can fight, but we solve the problem and let's move on. Yeah. Grab a beer afterwards, type shit. Right. Right. Uh, so, did you? Um, I, I guess because there was that nature of just the rough and tumbleness. Uh, w- did you? I guess kind of like step into that easily, or was that something you had to kind of like learn in order to? Uh, I know it's going to sound dramatic, but like survive, so to speak. No, it's definitely something I had to learn. I was, like, such a nice kid. <laughs> I didn't like conflict. I didn't like arguing, people yelling and shit. I got bummed out. You know, I didn't like any of that. But it, until I got older and I was like, oh, shit, I kind of have to be, you know, taking care of myself now, you know? So yeah. Kind of it. Sure, sure. And I'm sure a lot of that, too, came with you finding either your own way the own stuff that you're into like that confidence starts to evolve where you can say like oh yeah like i am into skateboarding i'm into punk even though all of you are looking at me like i had a third head or something right i was always taught to stand my ground with you know what i liked and what i didn't like and like i said i took a lot of shit from my brothers from it too so it was always like a pretty normal thing i had to fight to like what i like you know right and on that topic too how I mean, because like you said, your your mom was uh, doing, uh, you know, the, well, you didn't say this, but I'm, I'm saying this, doing the Lord's work of raising four boys. Like, that's a lot of work. Um, <laughs> how how was she reacting to you getting into stuff that was really far removed from what your brothers were into? 
No, I mean, she didn't necessarily mind. Like, early on, I was, like, super into skateboarding. And she backed it. You know, she bought me a nice board uh, for Christmas. Bless her heart, she didn't realize what was on the bottom. But, uh... What was on the bottom? Uh, it was like... <laughs> You know, some pretty uh, busty ladies. <laughs> oh, so it's like a old, old hookups <laughs> deck. Yeah, like, no, it was like it was like a, a photo too. Like it wasn't even. It was like a mad seventies type. Oh, okay, yeah, wasn't even animated. Yeah, like I don't think she really realized. I think she was just like, yeah, that one looks cool. Give me, give me that one. And I remember over it being like, what the fuck. <laughs> like, did you mean to get this mob? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't. It had like sick gold trucks on it and stuff. I was like pumped, you know. I didn't even care. But uh, yeah, I had that bad boy, and she backed me skating. But I didn't really get into heavier music and stuff like that until I'd say about like high school. And by then, like she didn't really care about what I was up to as long as I wasn't like getting locked up in like wild man shit like that. Right, right. So yeah, it's like that idea that she was. She probably was excited that you were passionate about something that, um, you know, wasn't going to be highly destructive, except maybe to your body as you're taking, you know, bales and falling off stairs or whatever, but something that you cared about. Yeah. I mean, she, uh, she even like just now is like starting to see what I'm doing with my music. Like, you know, earlier on, of course, moms aren't going to be like, let me listen to this man screaming his, his brain off, you know, but now she's like starting to see what's going on and like has seen a couple of my shows with like nothing or you know with jesus peace here and there and she gets it now like she's pretty stoked that's cool yeah it's pretty cool and especially too where not only do you i mean you as a you know black man that is supposed to you know follow the path of like oh yeah of course you're gonna like rap and hip-hop which is not to say that you don't but then like even extending it further where it's just like wait what do you mean you're getting in front of a bunch of white kids and you're yelling your head like this is so i don't even understand like anything of this dude it's mind-blowing to my family (laughs) mind-blowing Right. I took, one, I took my oldest brother to one of the This Is Hardcores, and maybe it was like 2017 or something, but he just was not ready for what he was walking into, you know? Right. We spent time when I was like a little kid, so he's like, oh, little Aaron's got a band, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think he realized he was walking into like prison riot style <laughs> situation. <laughs> Totally. Well, I, I think too, like enjoying the parallels between, um, you know, punk and hardcore and obviously hip hop, like there, I mean, it's obvious to anybody that has paid attention to both of those scenes, but to your point, if someone that has never been exposed to, you know, what punk and hardcore is, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is way more violent than this, you know, whatever push pit I saw at a Danny Brown concert or whatever. Yeah. It's the classic, like, yo, I'll come, but. If anybody punch me, I'm I'm walling out. You know what I mean? I'm like, all right, you're fine. You'll be side stage or something. Dude, that's so. I love that. It's just like, yo, someone gets it my way. I'll that's so good. They start swinging and shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's fine, bro. To- totally, totally. You're like, no, you won't, but you'll be fine over here. Don't worry. It's cool. Yeah. Right. Right. So uh, you as a kid, like you said, you're running around skateboarding and all that sort of stuff. Did you, um, you know, care about school? Did you play sports? Were you outgoing, introverted? Where would you kind of play yourself on that spectrum? Oh, it was, it was an odd thing. You know, like I played so much sports, but I did not play them for my school. (laughs) Oh, really? Okay. For my school, but I've always lived in like, you know, a low income housing or something like that. And there'd be like, 30 fucking kids running around so we would all be playing football like no pads like, crushing each other like running basketball 24 7 but then i just i had no interest in playing for the teams i just don't i don't know why i also love video games so i was like either i was in the crib playing video games or if i was like you know go outside i would just be outside while you know it was like a, a healthy balance i think right right and that i'm sure too because i mean i think the main reason that most parents, you know, push their kids to play sports is just the idea of like, I I have no aspiration for you being a professional athlete, but you need to know how to work with other people. And so like for you to kind of get that, even though you weren't part of an organized team per se, but you were showing up at the courts 
is, you know, that's uh, super, super helpful, I'm sure. Right. And so did you care about school? Like, were you, uh, uh, you know, uh, applying yourself, Aaron, or were you a bad student? (laughs) Uh, So I was one of those weird ones that uh, hated homework, but was like too smart in class for stuff. So I, I retained all the information very easily. You know, I ripped my test, no problem. But I hated doing homework, so I would get, you know, a crappier grade because I wasn't turning my homework in. But right. my teachers saw, they'd be like, you're not, like, what's up with you, dude? <laughs> Do you have- <laughs> right. Like, like if you put in... <laughs> Right, right. Like if you put in a little effort and you turn in some of your homework, like you're going to get a, a B instead of a C or a D or whatever. Right. It was just, yeah, it was it was a good time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and did you, did you have kind of, I know this is going to sound big, but like a life path for yourself as you were, you know, kind of going through school? Like was there any notion that you were going to follow in your mom's footsteps or, you know, you had a family business that your cousin was involved in or something like that? Honestly, no, dude. <laughs> I, sure. When I was like hella young, I wanted to be uh, like an architect, right? Because I was a big with the penmanship. I was drawing all the time. And, you know, okay. The idea of like drafting things was like really cool, like buildings. And I loved lines. I got a thing with like art lines. Um, but I wanted to, to get into that. And as I progressed and realized how much homework math took, I was not into it, dude. I was about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that where it's like, dude, this is great. But then the moment that you start talking about right angles, you're like, I'm out. Yeah. I'm like, yo, what? Right. <laughs> can, I have no time for uh, algebra two and shit. I'm good. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, but, but no, I, uh, by the time high school came, I honestly, I wanted to skate. Like that was like my, my pipe dream. I was like, I'm just going to skate as hard as I can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, by the time I got out of high school, I was just like, damn, I'm glad I just did that, you know, and I just kind of <laughs> yeah through the world for a while. Did you, uh, were, you know, did you get any uh, sponsors? Did you appear in any videos where you try and, was that the angle you were trying to go for? That's definitely where I was trying to go with it. But then uh, I had this like profound conversation with an old man in a park by the skate park. And he kind of just really highlighted the fact that I only have two ankles and two wrists. <laughs> That sounds like out of a movie, Aaron. <laughs> no, legit. Like I had like this four scump ass conversation with this dude, and he was just like, "Yo, you don't even have health insurance. Like you only got two ankles. What are you gonna do when they're gone?" And I just didn't have an answer for him. I didn't know what to say. So I just like, it's like, damn, maybe I shouldn't be trying to skate this hard, yo. Right. <laughs> Around the same time, I was getting into music, so I was like, well, "Fuck it!" Like I'll try to scream. And that was a journey in itself, you know? Right. Yeah. This, this seems safer because I'm not, yeah. You know, falling off a 10 stair. Yeah. Years later, I'm front flipping off a big ass shit. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're like, if, if the old man could see me now, <laughs> but that's, I, I really appreciate that story because I think it is interesting when you have these moments of clarity, when you are a younger person, because you know, the young people have no perspective for obvious reasons. And then you just have someone asking a real simple question to you, like, you know, or just presenting a fact and like, damn, I didn't even think about it. Yeah, you're right. Only if that two ankles. <laughs> Legit, that like, it was, it was so simple, but it was so profound, you know? Yeah. And, and the fact that you not, I mean, it, to me, it shows a level of like emotional intelligence that you are will. I mean, there's no way that you would have described it then as such, but just to have the idea that like, oh, yo, I'm going to listen to this guy and it's going to land with me and it's going to, you know, affect some decisions I'm going to make it here in the near future. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt. I definitely always uh, have appreciated advice in some way, sense or form. Like you give it a good look over. Right, right. It, it, it's from a, a random man in a park, then maybe, you know, maybe I should listen just because he's older. <laughs> sure, absolutely. I mean, that's the, there. We are a very ageist culture, and the moment that a person turns over sixty-five, it's just like, ah, eh, whatever. We'll put them in a home, and who cares? They don't have anything valuable. It's like, nah, man. They're, they're, they've lived life, dog. Yeah. What, um, like you said, you were always kind of. Uh, open to advice and, um, you know, willing to kind of learn from these, uh, different aspects and different people in your life. 
I'm going to guess that like, as you started to get into heavy music, that was also something that was engaging for you because you were learning about something that you really hadn't been exposed to before. Right. Okay, there. You know that I'm going to talk about band merch because it's incredibly important to me and it should be important to you. That is why the people at rockabilia.com are just the loves of my life. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. First and foremost, you need to go to their website and shop around. And secondly, you need to use the promo code 100 words or less. That will give you 10% off your entire order. I don't care if you're ordering a Rolling Stones hoodie or how about a a corn short sleeve shirt, or maybe you're like, you know what? I want to do a Bring Me the Horizon hoodie. They got it all. It's all officially licensed. And you can poke around whether it's searching by genre, whether it's searching by clothing item or size. They have so many options for you to get lost in the best way possible it's all officially licensed too. And that means the bands get paid. You win because you get cool merch in your mailbox and they ship it to you directly from the Midwest here in the United States of America. All of those things are important. And it's an independently run business. Hardcore kids are behind the scenes here running this thing. So I love what they do and I think you should support them. Rockabilly.com, 100 words or less is the promo code for 10% off your entire order. Go shopping at rockabilly.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like, the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. I guess what was the kind of introduction and jumping off point for you? Um, as far as heavy music goes, it was kind of just at random, like uh, a couple of my friends that skated, they were into it and I had been exposed to like punk shit earlier on, but like nothing like death metal and like all that other stuff, uh, you know, Tony Hawk and all that. But then, you know, skating with some of my friends, uh, I lived in Colorado for a short stint of time in like eighth grade and those dudes filled up my MP3 player with like mad, like Pennywise and like shit like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. I was like, you know, it was just new, so I was pumped, you know. And uh, when I came back home, I, I didn't really like have any friends that were into that because all my homies were into hip hop and, and R and B and shit. Uh, and it, it wasn't until I started skating with other people or like you know class with random friends, they would start passing me CDs or you know talking about music and you know, I think the moment a good buddy of mine uh mike Pafalco, he plays in scowl now he plays guitar for them uh-huh. he's also my my roommate i love him to death uh back in high school he gave me a dead kennedy cd and a bad brain cd in like social studies class and i was like yeah this is, this is pretty sick <laughs> right i was i was talking shit like i don't even really know if black people fuck with this and all this and he was like no nah, like check this out you know right I was into it. That's really, um, I, I, I love those, uh, 
not just origin stories, but I love the way that people can approach independent music and then they start to either they get attracted to the energy and the music and then they start to look deeper and they're it's like, oh wow, they're singing about stuff that like is really important to them and I never would have heard the radio and like it just it's like a I mean a bad metaphor, but it's like an onion. You just start peeling away at it, and you start to find all this right. stuff in there. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm going to guess too, because I also appreciate you, you know, not only mentioning the bands, but just kind of showing how all the random stuff can get in your head. Like you're not, you don't care about a scene. You're just like, oh yeah, I like Pennywise and like Morbid Angel is pretty cool too. You're like, they sound different, but like you don't know necessarily the huge difference between the two besides the fact that like one's maybe punk and one's maybe metal. Yeah, that's always very much been my outlook on all of this stuff. Like I've never felt like, you know, I needed to like one and to not like the other. So I was always around it, you know, any kind of show I could be at when the time came. Right. You weren't going to be like, oh, I'm not this type of person, so I can't go to this show. Right. I had no identity in it. I just was enjoying things. Ooh, that, I, I like what you said about the identity aspect because it is, you know, that's why it's easy for people of a certain age to get into this stuff because they feel like they can attach themselves to being, you know, what straight edge veganism, you know, anti-racism, like, I mean, those are philosophical beliefs, but it's still an identity. Right. And a big part of, of you know, hardcore and some metal. Yeah, right. And... So as you started to, you know, get more involved and start to go to shows, um, what, uh, I guess what either, I wouldn't even call it surprised you, but like once you started to really open your eyes to the scene and started to go to, you know, DIY shows, and even if it's, you know, whatever, maybe mediocre, uh, you know, uh, MySpace core bands or whatever, it's yeah. like, what, what engaged you with those shows? Like, as you started to watch them? Honestly, it was, uh just the chaos of it all okay like i i never really experienced live music like that in the first place like i wasn't somebody who went to concerts or anything like that so when i found it it for one it was just sick because i was you know involved in the space and like you know enjoying all this shit but also kind of the violent nature of it all you know that feeling of adrenaline going like i don't know what the fuck's going on or like yo i gotta be on my toes right now like it gave me this like insane sense of like uh just like what's the word i'm looking for here it just was like a thrill-seeking kind of situation you know mm-hmm. it's different than my usual skating literally every day wake up go skate you know what i mean it right just, it was something totally new and it gave me a whole new feeling and i just resonated truly yeah no, it, it does. I like that idea because it feels, it, I mean, I know everyone is going to paint with a very uh, rose colored lens of like, oh man, shows used to be so violent and, you know, people got their heads chopped off or whatever. Like, but there is that element where you don't know what's going to happen to you when you're, you know, 15 years old and like going to some sketchy part of town to watch, you know, people play a show or whatever. It's like that there is that element of like, I don't feel like I should be here, but I'm excited to be here. Right. Yeah. So as you started to, like I said, get more involved in shows and stuff, was it uh, immediate to you that you wanted to play in a band or was that still just a, a very faint idea as you started to go to shows? Uh, I mean, I think by the time I started going to shows, I had already decided that I wanted to learn vocals there. I might've already started doing it but it just wasn't at a level that I felt comfortable at, you know? Right. Right. And uh, did you, cause I mean, I know you, clearly uh, you also play, uh, you know, bass and I presume a little guitar. Uh, so did you pick that up first or were you like, yo, I'm going to yell into a bass amp right away to see how that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think uh, initially I got a guitar for Christmas in like seventh grade. It was a BC rich bitch. Oh, not too. That's a wow. That's almost reminiscent of your uh, your early skateboard. Like that's a big flex. Like <laughs> I love it. I went in there and I saw it. It just looked so cool. You know, it was all black, right? Funny as hell. I was like, "Yo, ma, 
there's this guitar that I want for Christmas. <laughs> like, Christmas is the only time we got to like get something sick, you know. Sure. We're always like try to go big, you know. And yeah. Never really getting into too much trouble, so she would look and hook it up. And she got me a BC Rich, and I played that joint like four times. So <laughs> I, had, I had a slight intro to guitar at that point, but uh, I didn't start playing playing bass until. Uh, a friend of mine's band, uh, or even John from Jesus Peace, his old band, they were a three-piece, and they were looking to become a four-piece. And I was just like, yeah, I'll do it, just kind of bullshitting. But then they said, yeah, so I had to <laughs> learn this entire LP's worth of like fast, like grind-ass hardcore. Right. <laughs> that was a, a hole that I dug myself into, but I, I totally just tossed myself into the fire with it. And at that point, I, I, I could noodle my way around a fretboard. Uh, Got it. Well, I, I love that. I, I mean, usually I- exactly what you're talking about, throwing yourself you know, into the fire, feet first, whatever. Like, in, in, I mean, that's what a lot of people do with vocals. It's not like you have any idea how to scream. You just start to like figure it out. And then the same way, a lot of musicians have to push themselves and be like, well, I don't actually know how to do this, but like, I know enough that I can maybe piece it together. And then you just kind of figure it out as you go. Right. And so I'm guessing that was the same way for you and vocals as well. Not so, I mean, not so much. I, okay. I started trying to learn how to do vocals on my own. I just thought it was amazing. I, I was like, I've never heard anyone make this noise before. Like, how are they making this noise? And uh, I was, like, looking it up a bunch and, like, seeing, watching, like, dumb YouTube videos and stuff. And uh, I just, I was a very soft-spoken person. So the thought of projecting your voice that much, it just wasn't a concept that I, I even had the control of. So I had to like you know learn how to project my voice a little bit before I could make the sounds, but it was a pretty funny journey leading up to set. Right, <laughs> I do like that idea of I mean that's with the internet existing and the ability to look up YouTube videos and you're watching you know these people. It's like oh yeah, like inhale in order to get like the pig squeal or whatever. Like you just start to piece all this together. We're like okay, I don't want to do that, but I want to do that. It's it's cool to have at least some idea of a blueprint where you can start from no doubt youtube university love it <laughs> for sure you want to replace a toilet boom you want to yeah you want to you want to scream for a mediocre hardcore band boom here you go i'm not calling jesus peace mediocre hardcore let's be clear but okay. yeah <laughs> you're like i accept it <laughs> um and so then i, I know jesus peace obviously was in your first band like you were illustrating when you started to, you know, play shows outside of Philly and start to just, you know, tour a little bit, did you enjoy touring or was that something that you had to kind of learn how to, uh, I guess, adjust to? No, I was pretty, uh, it was pretty easy early on. Like, I mean, there are parts of it that are hard, you know, you get in your head being out there, being away from home. And I think that kind of faded away after like the first two tours, I just was totally in it, you know? I didn't really have too much back in Philly that I was like, right, couldn't wait to get home to, you know, I just was like, let's fucking go like anything that we could do. Like, let's do it. Got it. Got it. And I, I, I'm guessing too, that, uh, college really wasn't a part of your life journey. As you uh, graduated high school, you weren't going to be like, all right, I'm going to do this while I tour in bands and stuff. No, not at all. I was already like just fucking around. So by the time, music came up I, I was at a point where i didn't know what the hell i was going to do with myself so i was like this is an opportunity i should take this you know put mm-hmm. into it. that's just what i've been doing sure sure well and, and i think too i mean just what i've noticed as an outside observer you have seemed to it's like people build their lives around music where it's like oh yeah i'm gonna work some transient job or i'm gonna work retail or something that's flexible in order for me to be able to go on tour as opposed to people who feel like they have to sign up for a career in order to, you know, make their life better or whatever. And it's like, you have been like, Oh no, I'm just going to follow the creative pursuit and do whatever to, you know, make ends meet or what have you. Right. And I guess uh, dovetailing into that, 
when you know Jesus piece started to uh, you know pop off and people were paying attention to you guys, you know, at a pretty early clip, like you know when the the demo hit, definitely people. I mean, I'm speaking from a person in California who obviously can get into a band from Philly very easily on the internet. But uh, when you started to you know get attention and people were paying um, you know more close attention to you than what previously had been done. Was that, um, I'm sure it was exciting, but did you feel any, um, I guess, unease of be people being like, oh yeah, here's Aaron from Jesus Peace. And like, you know, now I'm the, the focal point of attention because people always pay attention to vocalists and that sort of stuff. Or was that, I guess, slow coming for that sort of attention? I mean, it, it was a little bit of both. I, it still kind of freaks me out when people are, are stoked. You know, I'm always like, yo, it's cool. Like, <laughs> I'm just a <the> guy. <laughs> like, it's all right, you know? Uh, but I don't know. Like, uh, there's a part of it that loves it, of course. You know, it feels good to to have the reassurance that what you're doing is, is liked and, and people are excited about it. But at times, it, it does amp up social anxiety, you know? Like, I don't know. Sometimes you just kind of want to go chill or, or feel normal for a second. And it, sometimes it doesn't, you know, allow for that. Right. Yeah. And how, how did you handle that? Cause I know that does, I mean, with being the vocalist of a band and, uh, you're putting, I mean, clearly Jesus piece is a very uh, personal, like you're not, uh, <laughs> you're not writing lyrics from a, uh, you know, non-autobiographical, uh, scenario. So when people come up to you and have that interaction of like, Oh, I really connected with this song and stuff like that. Do you, how have you navigated that, you know, giving yourself, like you said, the 10 minutes for you to decompress uh, off stage or whatever uh, versus, you know, being there for people. No, when people come talk to me about, you know, stuff like that, I, I always make it a point to to speak and, and to chill and, and talk about that. Because at the end of the day, like wearing your heart on your sleeve when you do this shit, like it takes a toll on you. You know what I mean? And, and being able to, to say like, yo, I'm not just, you know, putting this out there for nothing. You know, this resonates with somebody again. It, it's an incredibly reassuring feeling, you know? So always yeah. try to, to stop it and take it in and, and remember why I, I did this or why I do this. And, you know, it's not going to be around forever. Right. So you, you might as well, uh, not only be there for yourself and your bandmates, but obviously the people who are connecting with your art. Hell yeah. I think it's yeah, important. I mean, I wouldn't be anything without those people. <laughs> yeah, Just sure, sure. Dude who loved skateboarding and now he makes music. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> guy, guy in house. That's uh, yeah. That I mean, let's be honest. That's what ninety-seven percent of the people are that exist in the planet, anyway. So it's it's all good. <laughs> not, not dissing you if you're guy in house. I got no. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, every, people have to fill so many different roles in the world. It's true. <laughs> Somebody has to be guy in house. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's not your journey. Um, so I, I guess kind of on that topic as well, the idea of, you know, once business starts to play into a band and that doesn't have to mean something as grandiose as a recording contract, but the idea of like, oh, we get paid hundred dollars to play this show and, you know, we got to buy merch and stuff like that. How, how has your journey been with the comfort level of that? Has that something that you've been, uh, I guess, excited to dive into or just like, nah, keep that away from me. Like, you know, there's other people in the band that can do that better than me or what's the vibe. Yeah. I mean, we definitely have a, you know, a designated guys that, that handle that kind of stuff. Like I only step in if it's, it seems to be getting difficult. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Got it. Well, I have no problem in negotiating. I, I like to talk about things like that and, you know, get to the, to the point with stuff. But if I don't have to deal with it, I try not to. You know. Got it. Yeah. You know, you know your place and I don't mean that in a bad way. You're like, I'm not going to be helpful if I step in here. Right. We all stay in our lane when it comes to certain things in our band and we let others handle it. That, that's good. And it, uh, the reason I say it's good is because I know that, uh, many front people of bands have fallen into that business person role that are either terrible at it or don't want to do it. And then it's just like either by default just keeps going. And it's like, I don't actually want to do this. Can I give it to somebody else or whatever? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I have a terrible attention span. I forget about shit all the time. So 
that's just not the job for me. The fine people at evilgreed.net are doing the Lord's work as far as I'm concerned. They are a web store solution for bands and record labels. But more importantly, you as the consumer can go to evilgreed.net and buy a bunch of merch from some of your favorite bands. And the thing that they do that is unique is the fact that they, they kind of act like a record label. And what I mean by that is if you're into anything heavy and or artistically heavy, they have your stuff in spades, whether it's working with labels like Sergeant House or whether it's working with labels like Closed Casket Activities, Triple B Records, or one of my new favorite bands that just recently opened up a store with them, Noel, K-N-O-L-L. You need to check them out immediately. They have a Dolly Parton shirt because they're from Tennessee. It's so good. But anyways, you can have fun poking around their web store and this is the most important part using this promo code 100 words gets you 10% off your entire order they're based in berlin germany but they ship worldwide and their shipping rates are very economical i don't know why i'm whispering to you but because everybody should know that <laughs> because i have purchased stuff from them and they've shipped it to me and it's very very cheap and it gets to you in honestly less than 7 days i don't know again why i'm like talking outside of my mouth for that but everybody needs to go to evilgreed.net Go shopping around. Like I said, if you like anything artistic and or heavy, you absolutely will find probably bare minimum like 10 items you want to buy. So go there, use the promo code 100 words and enjoy your shopping and then shipping directly to you. It's so good. Thank you, Evil Green. When for you, uh, did Jesus Peace kind of feel, uh, for lack of a better term, like real, you know, where it's like people started to, it doesn't even have to be like a specific show, but just, it can be, you know, a moment or the fact that, you know, oh my gosh, this person, you know, hit me up on Twitter or whatever the case may be. When did you feel that uh, there was a resonance outside of Philly for Jesus Peace? I think the first time we went down to Florida for FYA Festival. Mm. You know, we had a little tour going down there. And, you know, some of the shows heading down there were really cool, but they were all really small, you know. And it was, you know, intimate, fun. We were just stoked to be on the road together. And then our FYA set did really well. You know, we did like a, a pre-show and then played the fest. And the pre-show was bonkers, man. <laughs> Legit. Like, it was fucking crazy. And it was just a bunch of younger, newer bands. And at that point, we were just kind of like, yo, this could, you know, we should keep doing this. <laughs> right <laughs> I think, like the big big moment i had though was like the first time we we got to leave the country i was just kind of like oh shit this is like this is like real real like real real <laughs> which yeah, I, at this point i know how easy it is to go to europe <laughs> like right. i was like mind blown you know well yeah it, it it's i mean it, it is that notion that you're because you and then this sounds very stupid, but just like, you know, you live your life. So it's like the moment that someone outside of it and especially across the world is like, wait a minute, you want us to go play a show in Amsterdam? Are you sure about that? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you not, do you not understand there's like bands that are infinitely more popular than we are or ever will be. And you're not asking them or like, why are we on here? <laughs> right. It was, uh, it was cool. It was very nice to feel. Yeah, absolutely. And with your experience in touring over in Europe, what was, besides the fact that you never have Wi-Fi and they don't have ice over there, what were some really surprising things for you as you started to tour over there? Oh, man. Paying for bathrooms? That was pretty crazy. <laughs> sure. I just slide right under that. I got great mobility. <laughs> You're like, it's cool. You're going to try to get me to pay for your bathroom, but I'm not going to let that happen. I'll jump over. I'm sorry, Europe, <laughs> European people, if you're listening, don't tell me. Stat I think I, I think you're safe, and the statute of limitations has uh, has expired, so you're good. We're good. We're good. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I think that might be the weirdest part. Like, everything else, like, nothing was really that surprising there. It was It was nice that it was as clean as it was. <laughs> absolutely sure well then I'm, I'm sure too just the idea and i know it's a culture shock for people who tour in europe and then they come over here to the states and they're like what do you mean the promoter isn't going to give us a place to stay like what what do you mean they're not going to give us <laughs> 
it, that's that's maybe the big thing that I took away. I went over there and I could not believe that we were having like the food that we had in the green rooms and like getting places to stay and like all like at hospitality in general. I was like, these right. guys are treating us. We're like a real like not a hardcore band, like a real band. This is crazy. Totally, I love, I just I I love like when that washes over you, where it's like, yeah, like they're treating us like a real band, like we're like professional humans or something, where we're just a bunch of dummies from Philly or whatever. It's like this is so weird. <laughs> like I remember going home and feeling like, yeah, like what's good. I, right. I got, yeah, I would tell like I could tell my somebody like, yeah, I'm a musician. Like I, <laughs> I felt vetted. But. Totally, yeah. You're like, you know what I wrote on my on my uh, immigration form? Musician. <laughs> You're like, but only if I have a work permit. If not, then I'm lying about my, uh, my immigration status. We're just on vacation. It's fine. We're here to sightsee. <laughs> totally, it's fine. It's fine. Don't even look at our three duffel bags worth of merch. It's a Jesus piece. It's not a problem. We're giving them out. They're free. <laughs> This is just this is a friend's birthday party. We're fine. <laughs> um, when you, I, I want to hit on your time in nothing because I know you played with them for about was it two years or so, roughly speaking, or is it a little bit longer? If we add in quarantine, it was like four years. Or so. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. So in, in because I know that you stepped into it obviously when Jesus Peace clearly existed, and I mean I'm sure it wasn't maybe a difficult decision for you to kind of be like okay well I'm not necessarily putting Jesus Peace on ice but at the same time like I have to balance between the two. Was there a lot of I guess um, you know difficulty in arriving at that decision, or was it relatively easy because you were obviously homies with the guys in nothing? It was a it was a pretty easy decision <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, I, I was only supposed to be carrying a casket in the music video, and they all ended up back at my house. It was on New Year's Day for Zero Day, and uh, they saw like we had like a sun set up in the living room, like a coliseum, and you know two fifteen. They were like, "Yo, you play bass?" I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> they were like, hey, "You want to play bass?" I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of it was literally it. I was like, yeah, fuck it. I didn't even think about it. And uh it definitely was, you know, scheduling was a pain sometimes, but I think it was good to to be able to experience another side of the road and kind of just gain some empathy for the people in my van. Does that make any sense? Oh, I'm sure yeah, like I I'm sure once you were in jet, I mean Nothing is clearly a notorious band with a reputation where, you know, every tour, it's basically like the wheels are going to fall off at any point, but we're fine. We got, we made it to the next show. Um, so I'm sure having that experience in conjunction with the fact that you could obviously be creative with a whole different set of people that are not in Jesus piece gave you probably a better perspective to come back with more than you could offer if you just played in Jesus piece alone. A hundred percent. Yeah, it was like putting myself on turbo mode to learn a bunch of shit and then come back on like, <laughs> you slow it down a couple BPMs, you know? <laughs> I love I love that idea of just like, okay, I, I stepped on a roller coaster and now I can get off and understand that like, yeah, we don't need to, you know, be at 11 constantly. Like we can be at a seven and we'll probably be, we'll probably be pretty good. Yeah, JP rolls it like a a solid high a high four maybe. Right. <laughs> That's true. They're not, party, they're not party dudes by any means. So if anything, I might be the wild card for a little bit, and then we just kind of go and just get in the back of the van, pass out. <laughs> I, I like that you're just like yeah I'm, I, I'm the wild card. I'm the one that's like uh, you know up in the ante for whatever wild stuff we can get into. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As opposed to we're hungry. Once in a while, like, where is Aaron? We cannot find Aaron. Feel like the roof or something. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I, I found a great skate spot, guys. It's fine. <laughs> you're like, I know I'm not supposed to be skating on tour, but like, still, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I bring my board every time. I, I can't help it. That I was gonna, I was gonna ask it, like, how the uh, you know touring, because I know that some people have to swear it off while they're on tour because they're afraid that obviously you know something catastrophic is going to happen but you you know you still pedal around obviously yeah i uh i roll around with some like nice soft rictus you know a little bone swiss so i'm like silver surfing wherever i need to go 
I use it mostly for like transportation. So even if the roads I, are fucked, I'm all right. Right, right. No, that's good. I mean, it, it makes sense where it's just like, yeah, I don't need an Uber. I can skate, you know, 10 blocks away as opposed to paying $40 to go 10 blocks away. Right. And I like roaming around town anyways. Like I told you, that's just how it grew up. So anyway, right. anywhere we pull up, if I just got to go do some shit, I just go do it. Right. I'm going to go hit the coffee shop. I'm going to get some food. And like, yeah, I'll see you guys in a couple hours. Right. I chill out front, do a 360 flip or something. But like, right, right. I'm not dropping in on no fucking 10 foot vert or nothing crazy. <laughs> right. And kind of on that as well, where uh, you strike me, I mean, again, this is just an outside observation, but like you, you strike me as a person that um, is outgoing, but uh, I guess that is thoughtful about being outgoing, like where you know kind of your space to be like, okay, I need to be alone. I need to be, you know, with my kid, chill out, like that sort of stuff. Uh, do you feel like that's always kind of been you or has that something, have you learned uh, how to take care of yourself better as you've obviously gotten older? No, that's something I learned over time. You know, you go through a phase where you always want to be doing something and having people over and all this shit. And I burned myself out doing that. You know, I just, I know when I need some time to myself, I know when I start getting a little crabby or something, like I just go take some time, you know, it's just about being aware of yourself. And uh, that's something you learn on tour, you know, either you can, overstimulate and then you start melting down by like the last week or you can take a couple hours a day to just walk around town and clear your head and, and you know be yourself outside of a van with six to seven people in it you know just be for a second and then come back to it like you have to find a balance right yeah it's true i mean there's no better way of fighting that out when you can't escape these other people and you're stuck in a van for hours at a time. And then it's like, Oh, maybe I'm not as extroverted as I thought I was. Right. Groundhog's day will get you. Right. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, uh, on the idea of, uh, you know, you centering your life around, uh, you know, playing in, in a band and obviously being creative and, uh, doing uh, different things within that. Um, I'm guessing that you've just worked, you know, super random jobs and just kind of like always been on the hustle from that perspective. Uh, run me through the, some of the stuff that, you know, has, a, I guess, kind of kept you afloat out there. Uh, not looking for, um, you know, if you're a drug dealer, that's totally fine. Yeah, yeah, no, I need the full, yeah, I need the full LinkedIn resume. Yeah, no, <laughs> no but just like, you know, I, fi I find it interesting when people... Um, you know, dude, like I know when I was touring actively, I worked at a record store and they gave me months off where I could tour, obviously. And so like just the scenarios where you kind of develop a relationship with a, you know, a business that can let you dip in and out. Oh, it's, that's just a matter of, of work in the service industry, you know, like, uh, my time mostly in the last couple of years, I've just worked bar back at places that. Oh, okay. No, I'm a musician already. So I could, you know, hop in and out, grab some shifts if I am around and they're low. I'll hop in for them and, you know, we trade off like that, which is really nice. Uh, but yeah, I've been you know, chilling at this tattoo shop two days a week and they've known me for forever. So they're cool with me going and I'm driving an Uber recently. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So yeah, that, I, I like the idea of the, the tattoo shop, especially because you can, like you said, really um, not only, you know, be as helpful as you need to be when you are there, but then like, if you obviously get, interested in being like oh yeah like i could totally run a shop and run a schedule and like you know effectively tour manage this shop like <laughs> you just start to develop new disciplines right yeah I i'm sure ubering is very interesting because people either want to talk your ear off or are the complete opposite and you know just treat you like maybe a, a piece of trash is uh am i correct in those two polar opposites or is bad misrepresentation <laughs> No, I think it, uh, it's very rare that you get someone who's like a real piece of shit. You know. Okay. Saying? Good. Good. Yeah. And, uh, for the most part, it's it's like uh, bartending on wheels. You know, you get somebody in there, say what's up. You know, gauge how their your response is. If they seem like they want to talk, you kind of, you know, you shoot the shit with them for a little bit. Or if they seem like they do not want to talk, you just, you know, ask them if they need something specific. You keep it pushing. But right. For the most part, people love talking, man. It's like taxi cab confessional in that joint. <laughs> I do. I, I like that where it's just like the the bar back on wheels or the bartender on wheels. It's like it really is that idea that you are 
sense of the vibe, you're understanding what people need and want, and then you react to that situation. And some people thrive at it and others can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's- I'm used to shooting the shit, like being on the road and talking to a million different people in a million different places. Like what the hell is one Philadelphia in the back of the car? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You're like, dude, I can handle this for hours. What do you, where do you need to go? Driving around bumping like Charles Benson or George Benson rather. Right. I love it. <laughs> totally. And then be, and then be, so uh, Aaron, what do you do? Uh, I yell at a hardcore band. It's like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> Yo, one time I had like a, an, this opera singer, I can't remember his name, but he seemed like he was pretty prominent. I had to drive him during like that whole southwest cancellation situation oh sure and i got paid a good grip to drive him up to new york city i was stoked i was like let's go pimp hop in there <laughs> telling me about you know his job and stuff and i told him what i did and he was just like legitimately concerned that we don't get these like three days of rest in between tour days and i'm like hell no pimp <laughs> lucky that you get three days in between your shows man i wish Right. Yeah. You get, you get three days off every three months. Are you cool with that? Like, <laughs> dude, that's unbelievable. Yeah. I told him, I'm about to go off for two months. I got to scream most of the time. He's like, that is just not okay. And I'm like, I know we should unionize. This is crazy. Totally. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I got, uh, you know, I got eight nights in a row. It's like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. And you're yelling. <laughs> I love well, I, I love that too. That again, like that, it, it just seems to me that that fits your personality because you can definitely, um, you know, again, learn from strangers that offer their perspective, and you're just like, oh yeah, like this is uh, an even better way for me to, you know, not, not like you're searching for clarity in the, you know, uh, in, in the driver's seat of an Uber car, but right, right, <laughs> but yeah, but you can get perspective, and it's kind of cool, right. Um, the last thing I want to hit on was the, uh, you know, I know that like almost every single interview you've probably done on this, uh, you know, album cycle. And prior to that, uh, in regards to you, obviously having a kid and I think people are very transfixed with the idea of, you know, hardcore kids becoming, you know, parents in some capacity. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that your kid, like you've probably brought him, brought him around to some gigs and he's probably maybe watched you jump on stage, uh, for a couple of times. How does he interact with your, um, you know, music? Like, is he interested? Is he like, what is daddy doing? I don't understand it. What's his, uh, what's his vibe there? Uh, even when he was like small and he first started walking, we would, I would just be bumping like death metal and stuff just cause I knew I probably had to get him used to it and he'd be bouncing, having a good time, you know, but as he's gotten older, he's like, Oh dad, too loud. No heavy metals, which breaks my heart. <laughs> Well, to to be to be fair, if he thinks your music is cool, then like he is going to have to like no matter what your parents are into, it cannot be cool. So it's like he's going to have to make that decision at some point where it's like, all right, all the stuff my dad's into is whack. I need to get into like you know, hey, maybe you can get to be an opera singer or whatever. I would prefer him to get into something else, <laughs> but. Anytime he sees like a video or something, like I'll sh- I showed him the music videos, he was stoked. He's like, "Yo, daddy, yeah, that's what's up?" You know, like, he's yeah, excited about that. And I I put him on the mic a little bit. Like we had him at the Philly day at the sound check, and he mm-hmm. was a little yelling into the mic. Like he understands that I'm screaming for sure. And that, he, that's he, cool. Hear, like he goes, "Oh, it sounds like daddy." I'm like, "Yeah, hell yeah." <laughs> <laughs> It's it's cool. You're like normalize the idea of yelling into a microphone. Right. As long as you know what's up, what's going on over here, that makes me feel a little bit better. Right, right. <laughs> um, and I, I did say that was going to be the last question, but I have one more thing of the idea of, because uh, I know that, um, you know, you've done collabs. Where I, I know like Luis worked at Noah. So clearly like the, you know, intersection of, fashion and hardcore is becoming you know more and more prevalent because people see the connective tissue of obviously like you know streetwear or even high fashion with what is happening in the context of underground music and stuff like that and i know you've done like modeling yourself and stuff like that um is is that just kind of like a fun thing for you guys to kind of experiment around with or is that like is fashion something that you've personally been like yo i'm in i'm into this i would like to keep exploring this uh, I mean, I think it's something we try to uh, 
bring in with us because it's something that we both like to do. You know what I mean? I, I think we all, everyone in the band at least has their hands in like something as far as like what we like and, and what we, you know, consume as far as like clothing goes. Uh, but I guess we just feel it's important to include every aspect of our lives in what we're doing because we're making this our life. You know what I mean? So if we're involved in fashion already, then great. Right. Bring it in. Yeah. Use the weapons that you have. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I like that idea, especially when you can kind of take something that people may view as unconventional, but be like, well, no, this is part of us. And like now it's just in your face now because you like our band or whatever. For sure. I mean, even with the fashion world and hip hop and, and a lot of the pop culture, everybody wants to be a punk dude. Everybody wants to be a rocker. Oh, absolutely. Jobs. Right. <laughs> well, I, I just love the idea. I, I know like, you know, people dragged uh, Courtney Kardashian for wearing, you know, agnostic front shirts or whatever. It's just like, first of all, she doesn't have any clue who agnostic front is like clearly a stylist put it on her, like calm down. And it's just, but it's like that idea that people are aspiring to, have that edginess about them and sometimes it is a piece of you know random vintage band merch that happens to fall on like you know one of the most popular people on the planet or whatever right yeah yeah you can't let them dudes get all the fun no exactly yeah yeah <laughs> totally You're like listen just because you married the drummer of the aquabats like it's fine you know we're totally fine <laughs> Well, uh, Aaron, I very much appreciate you hanging out with me. And um, yeah, thanks for letting me uh, ping pong around your brain, dude. Yeah, anytime, man. And also, yeah. kind of shout out the Aquabats. I- <laughs> oh, dude. Well, I, I, Travis Barker played for the Aquabats at one point. Back in the... Uh, oh, yeah. Dude, yeah. This was, uh, I mean, this was probably like 97, 98 era. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he was, I think on the... Yeah, I think on the Fury of the Aquabats record, if I'm not mistaken. But like, he's not known by his name because each member of Aquabats like has you know Captain Underpants or whatever the hell their names are. But um, I just I would see him on fucking Yo Gabba Gabba watching it with my kid. And that hell, party song would come on, dude. Hell yeah, exactly. It's like nothing could be funnier. The fact that you know now he's like a you know a list cultural celebrity when it's just like hell yeah, dude. You were playing with the Aquabats at one point. You know, all of us can can upgrade at some point. <laughs> It is possible. Thank you for having me, though. See you. There you have it. That was Mr. Aaron. Obviously, you're you're at the end of the episode. You know what's up. Big shout out to him. Big shout out to Bailey, his publicist, who is a great human being, and she always brings good ideas to me. So thank you, Bailey, and thank you, Aaron. Just listen to Jesus Peace because they're awesome. I'm really bummed that I missed their show and tour that they did with Show Me the Body and Scowl because I think that tour package was so good. But anyways, that's what we got this week. Next week, I have a great discussion with a person I would define as a legend because he has played in some legendary bands, Sergi from Sam I Am Knapsack. He also plays in Ways Away. He is a very prolific musician. And uh, I was really excited because he listens to this show and wanted to appear on the podcast. Anytime I get that request, I mean, first of all, I can't help but have my ego played to. <laughs> but then also, I, when it's a person who I'm like, yo, I already like them. This is an easy pitch. I will absolutely have Sergi from Sam I Am and Napsack on the show. So that's what we did. And that's what we got next week because Sam I Am just released a new record that's really, really good. So until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep... The real danger is in your hand, when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.